Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Yes, and we're back. We're continuing our HFES 2022 conference coverage. I'm sitting here with Rose Figueroa. Welcome back to the show. The show. Thank you. Great. Well, Rose, you're here to talk about DIA AG. That's a lot of that's a lot of letters. It's the Disability and Chronic Illness Affinity Group. We're shorthand. We're going to call it Disability or Accessibility Affinity Group throughout the course of this. Um, Let's just start at the top. Like, what is it? (laughs) Well. Uh, there's a series of AGs, the affinity groups. So we have the LGBTQ+, the BIPOC, and, and other groups, the women that was the oldest and the um, the one that broke to, to start these other groups. But this one is more to create the community for the people that may um, have some sort of disability or chronic illness and or people that want to be allies and advocates and learn more on how to help that community, especially within uh, HFES. So that's how it started, which is interesting because I was just remembering that two years ago, maybe uh, during a conference, I went on a rant like with you (laughs) criticizing how, you know, there's a lot of areas of improvement for accessibility. And next thing you know, I was founding the DCIAG and HFES was giving a lot of good stuff to us so yeah they listen <laughs> that's good i mean that that's a br- really brilliant thing to hear that the fact that you've gone around you realize that there's a um there's a big gap and you've been able to go and do something about it what sort of activities do you get up to in the affinity group what sort of what sort of things do you do you get up to on a you know, what have you done this year well that would be a compound question versus you know what we want to do or and what we're doing so based on the volunteer hours because we're small uh and we you know as the newest um affinity group in the um, society we um have done just quarterly meetings and that was based on the community they asked to be quarterly instead of monthly like we gave them the option and uh, what we do is some of them we just meet as a community and we just catch up there's no specific topic um, and we can brainstorm on what would be our mission and what do we want to do. Um, and then there's some that we have had speakers. So we actually had one of the meetings. Everybody was asking that, wouldn't it be great if we have an attorney to please help us and navigate um, what you know reasonable accommodations look like? What can we ask? What are we entitled? Or what should we not ask or how to do that? Um, so for the next meeting... Um, Emily from like she's a former EEOC, so the Equal Employment Com- oh my God, Commission. <laughs> like, um, so she um, came in and she was willing to give a really great presentation, and everybody loved it. And and she was you know very knowledgeable, of course, but also she did a you know that very tailored um, you know answering the questions and being being available. So that was great to see. So we're doing that, just bringing speakers based on what the community wants. And then other things that we want to do is just as simple as coffee chats and virtual, you know, other things that we just connect the community and have advocates and allies be able to listen and uh, see how they can help us too. So I want to, I want to get sort of a little personal here. So you and I actually had a chance to talk last night at the opening ceremony. And there was a moment of realization on my part where I realized that this group would interest me because of my ADHD. And 
it was one of those moments where I was just like, how, how many other types of uh, I, things like this might go sort of unrecognized as a, um, as a disability? And when do people sort of have that moment of clarity that I had last night that this, this, this is something I should care about. Not that I didn't before. It's incredibly important for affinity groups, but just that I feel like I belong now (laughs) a little bit. Right. So I guess the question is, right. What would you tell folks who think they may or may not sort of qualify for these, um, disabilities? Well, yeah, it's one of them. Um, and on that note, and that, that came in because we had a great question from a student, uh, in the student panel uh, for interviews that she was like, how how do we help um, and what tools do you give to people that have some disabilities like ADHD to excel in an interview? And it was great for me. That was my favorite question because we didn't know the answer in the panel. We're just like, I, I mean, I don't know necessarily. And my answer was, well, at least if you start coming to these groups, you may meet people that may have been through that process, that they had the disability and that they're willing to uh, share their, you know, the tools that they use, what work for them, etc. So I would just say, you know, it could be as simple as go on the government list and, and see <laughs> if you qualify. I, I believe even celiac uh, people are actually um, encompassed in the ADA, you know, disability because they do need a reasonable accommodation. And I give that example because that's another group that they may not even think that they're in the disability group. Um but, you know, if you join the group, even if you just as like passive, you know, listener and advocate, then you may realize that you do belong. And if I mean, you do belong anyway, because everybody's welcome. <laughs> um, but it is a way of you, you can start learning a little bit more. Um, how can it help? And I would just say there's also age, you know, hearing loss, right. vision loss, like things like that, that you may think that you, you could get good use of, of being in that community and being exposed to those resources that um, we we share while we're in those meetings. Right. So this might come feel as a slightly unfair question to a certain extent, given how, um, how uh, young you are as, a, as an organization. But what do you think's been your biggest achievement this year? Um, there, there are actually a few, which is interesting because, yes, we're so new. So we're still I mean, looking for volunteers. Hashtag help us, please. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, the accessibility for the conference, there's a lot that still can be done. But the fact that they did listen. So, like, they, you know, the, the organization understood that I have limited hours, too. Like, I have my day job and my other jobs and my other things to do. And uh, you cannot rely only on the members, especially from a com- affinity group, because the affinity groups are not meant to be the advocates and the people that do the volunteering work. It's meant to be a community. So you're not, you should not expect them to do the work. We can if we want, right? Yeah. But the whole point is like everybody should feel welcome and that you, when you join our group, you're not expected to do any work. This is just so that you meet like-minded folks, like from your same affinity group. But um, the, if you go to the HFE as a conference website, there's a tab for the accessibility. Um, the EC, they actually got a paid you know, consultant for accessibility. Uh, and that was based on our recommendations such that, you know, we can help, we can guide. Um, I, they actually asked for my input 
for the documents that the consultant uh, wrote and, and sent to the presenters um, for like how to do a poster that is accessible and a presentation, etc. Uh, but you know, it, they were not making it my job to build that document. They gave the resters, you know, the, the consultant to start. And then the only thing that we were doing is just giving the input as the members, because we know HFES more than an outsider in that sense. So I think an interesting question to follow up to that is, is what is sort of the most surprising thing that you found out um, either working with HFES or in uh, the disability affinity group? Like what is the most surprising thing? Um, let's see. So that the most surprising thing that's, it's a good question. <laughs> yes, it is a good question. You're welcome. Uh, I guess it would just be the, you know, it, it's even the effort that it takes to do some of these things, right? Like when you're just a member and you're saying like, oh, this could be done better. Sure. it's. I mean, it's better said than done in general, right? But uh, there's some processes, there's some, you know, even the approvals and whatnot that needs to be done uh, to do it the right way. And the time and effort that it would take, it all depends on our bandwidth, given that we're mainly volunteers. So, like, I'm not saying, like, cut us on Slack, but at the same time, it's just, like, right. you know, understanding that we have limited time as well. So that was, for me, somewhat surprising, like, now that I'm in that side, that I'm just, like, you know, it, there's a lot of things that need to happen and a, a lot of uh, pieces and variables that need to move. Uh, even if it's as simple as just having an uh, accessibility tab on, on the website, right? Like for, for the conference. Um, and, but also the, the, the willingness for people, like, because when you're on the other side and you're just like, okay, it could be done better. Um, but we're human factors. They should know that. So you're assuming that they know, but sometimes it's the knowledge. So like, it was just like, they just didn't know that there was a need for that because people were not coming and complaining, which is also understandable, right? Like if you didn't feel that you belong and then you just step back and left the organization, then they're never going to know uh, why did you leave. Right. Yeah, it's it. the, the things you've been saying actually has sort of resonated to a certain extent in, you're right, we are human factors practitioners. We're all about usability. We're all about engagement. Yet we seem to have had a massive blind spot when it comes to this. And, and hopefully that's almost you're, un, you're unveiling um, or demisting de that, that blind spot for us. Um, so clearly it's hugely important work. Um, what's the future? What's the, what, what do you see as your sort of short-term, maybe medium, long-term um, goals that you want to achieve with the Affinity Group? So, I mean, we're slowly growing, which is one thing. So as we're getting more volunteers, we can have more um, events happening throughout the year because then we can have people that are leading their own babies or right? like something that you actually like that you enjoy you can just do that one um now we have a co-share that is an aunt so we will be more active in that sense because now we can divide and conquer um so it will be you know now it's it's establishing a little bit more like the elections getting a whole committee going um so that we can have a bigger presence and hopefully that will um slowly get to the community, people that may have left over the years because they felt that they didn't belong, that the accommodations were not there, whatnot. So we are here. We are part of HFES and part of the community. And at least we can serve as a voice and, and connect you to the right people so that um, you feel welcome and you feel like you have the reasonable accommodations that you need 
uh, that you deserve as being, you know, part of this community when you come to a conference and when you go to any other event. So I think those are like seeing those things more and more uh, instead of us asking about like, can I get a reasonable accommodation? Now it's more about them offering and being like, it's not a taboo. It's like right there when you're showing that webinar click here if you need an accommodation, you know, things right. like that. Um, I feel like that's what we're going to start seeing more and more, um, which is, you know, thanks to all the volunteers <laughs> that keep doing that. So along that line, what type of resources are available to members or non-members now? And what would you like to see in the future? So there, um, something that we have been talking in the group is even as like simple resources, like daily living stuff, right? You know, if you do a PowerPoint presentation, why don't you have the closed captioning on that actually comes embedded in Microsoft uh, when you're presenting, even if it's on Zoom, right? Uh, it's not the best, especially for a non-English, you know, speaker like me, but it, it's better. Uh, we're getting we're getting there, right? The AIs. So that things like that, like resources that could be used um, not only as a practitioner or like in an employer, uh, but also if you start doing those things as a person, the accommodations, like when you're in a Zoom, maybe you don't need the closed caption. But if you're the one who asks for it, then it's great because you're being an ally, you're being an advocate. So you're not making me ask for it or making somebody actually needs it. So simple things like that. I think we're going to start trying to like encourage the members um, to, you know, to showcase that is as easy as X, Y and Z examples that you can start doing um, at work, at home, etc. Gotcha. So if people want to go on and get in touch and get involved, how would they go around doing that? Well, um, I think the website we have like, you know, sign in for volunteering. You could always just uh, email me and I can later I can drop my email in the chat as well <laughs> or LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. A lot of people message me through LinkedIn and I do see them and may take a little bit more time to respond depending on the influx of messages, but I do see them. Uh, and um, even as simple as like, if you say email info at hfes.org, um, I believe that is just the general email. They're pretty active on that. And if you say like, hey, could you send this message to Rose the, or the, the share of the DCI and things like that, they do send them. So so we do get those too. So it's just getting contact. You want to help. Uh, we There's a lot of things we could do. <laughs> Now I want to I want to back up a little bit. So so we've talked a lot about the uh, the affinity group. I want to talk a little bit. You're you're busy this week. You are a very busy person this week. You were telling me last night. Yes. What brought you to HFES this year aside from the affinity group? Well, in general, <laughs> it's uh, the networking. I do like the community. This is like our you know we catch up every year. Um, so it's it's a way of the networking and get and. You know, I see you at least once a year, Nick. Yeah. So it, it's cool, right? Uh, so that that was one of the, the things that I, I'm doing. Of course, I'm presenting, you know, different technical presentations. Um, and I'm in some panels related to DEI, so diversity and inclusion too. Um, but yeah, I think the networking overall is, is one of the main um, drivers that, like, get me to come every year. Just, just catch up with the community and see what's new. Yeah, and... You can't tease me like that. What um what are you presenting on? Uh, I'm presenting on virtual reality. Uh, actually, I do forensics, so characterizing some variables for virtual reality. We are actually doing a demo with the Vardio that is a very high-end uh, mixed reality headset on Friday. 
um, then naturalistic driving and driver behaviors. So, so it's not VR at all, right? But it's wow. just based on the stuff that I do. Um, and I'm presenting to, um, like I said, like panels on the disability, like um, DEI, bringing DEI to human factors. And uh, yeah, a few of the VR stuff. This, this year was full on that. Yeah, you wear so many hats within HFES. Um, I guess, what would you consider your role within HFES? And it's okay to go down the list of all the hats that you wear uh, because you're a very active member of the society. Yeah, so, I mean, if you go to my LinkedIn, it's over, all over. <laughs> like, I am a big, you know, proponent of, like, the Latinos and bringing in more Latinos and underrepresented minorities in STEM. But, of course, you know, my baby is human factors and biomechanics. Um, so I do connect a lot of people in that sense. Um, so I do, uh, like, Hispanic Heritage Month, right? Like, at least bringing the the – it is – uh, the end of Hispanic Heritage Month this this month, and uh, they actually just released the news yesterday, and they highlighted me and a few of other of the Latinos, um, which thank you, HFES, uh, by the way. But yeah, it's just um, just bringing in you know feel the feeling the belonging um, of the the different minorities that we may need to increase the numbers, but we you are here even if we're five for now or ten, right? Like we're gonna keep growing. And showing ourselves so that others can see themselves in this community too. Um, so that that is something. So I do I do serve in the liaison and rep, reps uh, committee, um, ha, trying to build uh, partnerships with other organizations like SHIP, that is the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, um, and and things like that. That's pretty. So you have um, all of these things, and you're clearly a very plugged in and a very involved person. Why? Why do you, I mean, it, as, as a bit I don't from, know, as, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for volunteer roles myself. Um, I do do a similar thing. And quite often my wife is asking me, Barry, why? So I'm going to put that back on you. Why, why, why the keenness to be involved? So some of them is just I happen to be in the middle. Uh, <laughs> I, I just happen to be the connection. And next thing I know, uh, it happened years back with Hurricane Maria, right? Like I happened to be in the middle and I ended up leading the hurricane statewide relief efforts for Puerto Rico in Michigan. So it was like, I just happened to be there in this case, HFES, you know, because I, I guess I am, um, I'm not scared of talking and <laughs> saying what I think uh, respectfully and, you know, talking to the right people and, you know, identifying the, the, the right stakeholders that could get something done or at least get it moving and get us in the right direction. So I feel like I, I have to, to, because then I, like, I can see it, how it can get done. Then I, I feel that I am passionate about it. I can help others. Like I wish I had these opportunities and, and, you know, this uh, showcasing, right? Like when I was a student or even, you know, I don't know, like 10 years ago, right? Like, so, I feel like if I can and help others that are coming behind me to make it, you know, paving the path so it's easier, uh, why not? Yeah. So lots of hats, lots of stuff going on at HFES this year. Um, I know it's only been one day, but I, I don't know. I feel like I've already lived an entire week. What have you gotten out of the conference so far on day one? Technically one. Oh, yeah. it's <laughs> it, it has been... Uh, I had the student session, so it was the interview panel in the morning, which I was 
surprise like i thought there were gonna be just like 10 students it's the first session in a monday and it was the room was completely packed the program that the volunteers did was great um because I, i started seeing what was coming after and it was just full of students eager to learn so that actually you know energizes us as the practitioners and people that are trying to Uh, mentor and you know keep showcasing human factors seeing those students that are very interested very involved uh, so a lot of networking in that sense um, the award ceremony was pretty nice yeah. and it was pretty full too so it's yeah. just catching up with everybody like you said it was just it was a very long day uh, more than I thought <laughs> <laughs> I know I had I had a I talked about it earlier, but I had so many things going on yesterday, setting this up and then running to find like audio equipment last minute and then running back and trying to network with everybody and track people down and finalize interviews and get things organized. It's a lot going on. <laughs> and and the other thing that is interesting is that, you know, the past years, especially DCI that is new, is that I have been having meetings in Zoom for the past two years with the COAG, so the Coalition of AGs, uh, so all the shares and the heads, the leaders, and I just met them in person yesterday. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like I know you. We we have had like calls that is literally venting about work, like personal, like we, you know, we build our personal relationships with some of these folks and I have never seen them in person. And I, I you know, it didn't pass through our minds that yes, this was the first time that we saw each other in person. Perry, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we, me and Nick have never actually met. Um, everything we've done over the past year or so that, that we've been doing this now, it's um, we've we've been doing it like this. I'm fairly convinced that he doesn't actually exist. He's just like a, a character in the Matrix. But um, but I think if I can just throw in one last question at you, if you don't mind, um, there's a lot of stuff you've done here, which I think is is really impressive, really valuable. And obviously, over here in the UK, we probably we are looking at edi and there's there is people over there from the um uk presenting on edi um this year um uh, at, at the conference but what is there a way of being able to package some of the lessons that you've learned and be able to share them with other communities such as ourselves over here in the uk that we can we can learn from what it is that you've done so um i'm actually in a panel today with some courtney from uh the uk Oh, Cody, uh, right. And yes. the DEI stuff, yes. Yeah. Uh, so again, I've not met in person yet, but we yeah. have been, we, we wrote a paper together. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would just say, I mean, there's a couple of things. Uh, there are people that even within the community, like uh, Nick and I were talking yesterday, like I, I ended up having, you know, finding this niche because I've been doing this advocacy for more than 10 years now. And, um, I, I do have my own consulting company on it and I bring in the human factors. So uh, one of the the panels that we're doing today is actually doing that. I, I may I think it may be recorded, but it's just how are you bringing DEI to human factors or using your human factors knowledge, your mm -hmm. background so that you can uh, incorporate that DEI. And and it's, it could be as simple as like using the right metrics, understanding, uh, that, you know, we're data people. So let's use that. Uh, when you're bringing the case, like build your business case, be impactful, tailored. So I guess in general, people in the UK, US, anywhere, it's it's about identifying that gap. And it's better to do small steps, uh, incremental changes than trying to just conquer 
the world to start with, <laughs> uh, which it just helps because then you have data too, so that you can actually understand if you if it was actually impactful. So I'm I'm, I'm a big proponent of tailored initiatives that are impactful versus let's just wave our hand and do something big, let's say, just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. If the, in the DEI perspective, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. One last question for you. Uh, you have a lot going on. What are you most looking forward to over the next couple of days? Uh, <laughs> there, there were a few, right? Like one of them was just like I told you, the general, the networking and, and meeting up people in person for the first time that I have been writing papers <laughs> and meeting for years now. Uh, because of, you know, COVID. Um, but it's just the diversity of the sessions too. And and uh, with me, I'm actually, I'm going to be installed now as the director for the BCPE, which, you know, again, I'm meeting all the people in person now are going to have the business meeting. So I'm also looking forward to that because it's just, uh, they always do that meeting at, at the end of HFES. So, um, and see how we can help. And again, I can bring all the, you know, the diverse, the DEI view and outreach aspect to, to BCP and the partnerships that they do and HFES too. But yeah, overall, it's just hearing, listening to the people. I've been listening a lot and, and seeing what else people need and want, especially from the communities that I represent so that then I can do some sort of summary and I'm bringing it up and see how what, what can we do and what can, you know, HFES do, do to help us uh, and keep, you know, empowering us. Well, bros, thank you for being on the show. You're always welcome here. I think the last time we talked was just on a human factors hangout that we did on a stream uh, when technology wasn't working or something. You're always welcome on the show. Thank you for stopping by. We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with our next guest right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, hello. Welcome back to our coverage of HFES's 66th annual meeting. Uh, I am uh, echoing again. Hey, I'm ac- Jeez, I really need to, there, you need to call me on these things before we go live, man. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, yeah, I need it. Hey, welcome back to our uh, annual meeting coverage, Human Factors and Economics Society, 66th annual meeting. Uh, I'm sitting here with Jules Tripp. Jules, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. I've been wanting you on for a long time. It's nice. Personally. It's really <laughs> so, so today we'll be talking about uh, the LGBTQ plus affinity group. We've talked to uh, a couple folks about affinity groups uh, today, and I just think they're an incredibly important aspect of the society. So I'd love to pick your brain a little bit. Can you tell us just what the affinity group is? Yeah, so actually that's not as simple a question as you would imagine. <laughs> but really um, the intention behind starting these affinity groups a few years ago uh, was really to help folks feel comfortable in this organization that might not see themselves um, 
represented necessarily when they came to the conference or or even in other you know smaller groups of, of folks that are in HFES. It tends to be kind of a traditional organization in terms of you know, you'll see a lot of academic types and sort of professors and things like that. So there were a lot of suits walking around and folks that were, oh, you know, a little bit different in one way or the other might not feel um, comfortable. And so we wanted to, and, you know, of course, that difference is just entirely defined by whoever the dominant paradigm. So we wanted folks to feel comfortable and to feel like they had a cohort and like they had people to talk to, maybe a mentor if they needed, certainly people to help guide them if they needed in their career or just sort of personal choices around, you know, how to, how to work uh, from the margins. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting to, to hear. And it, uh, we've heard a fair bit around uh, affinity groups today and just really the, the, the really strong impact they're having in the way that um, AHF, um, HFES is now delivering. What has been, I guess the, what's been your biggest achievements this year? If there's some, are there some standout things that you've managed, you've managed to achieve or, I mean, clearly everything's going to be brilliant, but um, is there some things that stand out? Well, I have to tell you, it's the little things, right? It's the non-binary bathrooms. Yeah. I noticed that there's a sign. Yeah. I mean, it's like no, gen and I, I stumbled into it the other day and it just looked so natural. I just kind of walked in and um, you know, there were the urinals and the stalls and, there, and it was just awesome because me, you know, being raised female, I'm not used to seeing urinals in the bathroom. So that was very nice. But, um, but then I couldn't find it again when I was looking for it. So there's, there, there are victories and then there are little setbacks. Like there should be, you know, pervasive signage to tell you how to find that restroom if you want to. Um, yeah, that's a really big thing. But I have to say the biggest thing and the most heartwarming thing for me is just seeing seeing all the queer people here <laughs> and I mean not to mention people of color and stuff like that but really folks are feeling more comfortable and I think it has a lot to do with you know in COVID we all had a little wake-up call and we're able to kind of come home to ourselves and be a little bit more expressive about who we who we are and sort of not uh, roll with the punches so much as as we've been used to so I think people are more you know, more out in and of themselves and in their own lives. But I think also we've made a point of telling folks, you know, you're welcome here and certainly not just welcome, but, you know, we need you and the future needs you. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, human factors and design and stuff, we've got to, we have to take everybody into consideration and marginalized communities can just tell us so much about what we're missing, you know, what we've missed for a long time. So, yeah, I, I find those to be huge things. Unfortunately, our ribbons didn't make it this year. We had ribbons last year with all the flag colors and all that kind of stuff. I was looking forward to that, but uh, didn't happen. But there, there's a lot of super good stuff. And just across the affinity groups, I mean, now we have a coalition of affinity groups. So there's a lot of good sort of bottom-up um, ideating going on. And I have to tell you, like, Chris has come by and said hi to me, you know, four times during this thing, see how I'm doing. And, you know, Chris Reed, the outgoing president, and Carolyn's been involved in all of these causes. And so she's come to say hi to me, too. And I kind of take it for granted because we've been Zooming over the last, you know, few years together. But um, but that's really nice. I mean, definitely people are taking, a, you know, an interest. It's important. I want to I jump in because there's sort of a question about um, – the cross-sectionality between human factors and queerness and, and there's within the society itself, but then there's also human factors helping um, those who identify as LGBTQ IAP plus I'll add in the extra ones yeah, there at the end. The uh, and, and why can't we make the affinity group all those uh, just to be a little <laughs> bit more inclusive. Anyway, uh, I would go with queer, just, so, just you know, queer just affinity group. There you go. The thing, you know, but some people don't like that, but you're right. We so I, I mean, where is that intersection between human factors and queerness and how can we make a difference? 
a difference in what way? The, the queers on human factors or human factors on queers? Which, Both. Yeah. Okay. So I think that the the cross section is very much, you know, I mean, in human factors, we have to have this sort of meta awareness of what it means to be human and how to take that into consideration in sort of our everyday lives, things that we've always taken for granted or um, once again, sort of the, the standard or typical way of looking at things. We've been outside of that all our lives. So we're used to kind of having a little bit of objectivity about that stuff and a lot less attachment to it because uh, normally that would be a dangerous thing. So I think there's, it's not, um, it's, yeah, it's not ridiculous to, to imagine that there's a huge connection between those things. And I think there's a lot we can gain from that. Um, as far as queers go, I mean, it'll be, our affinity group in particular is really a support group because what we're looking at now with the endangered trans populations in particular, but just sort of everything being up in the air, even gay marriage, which, you know, I mean, how mundane can get, and yet it might be revoked, right? So who knows? But that level of, um, you know, need for community, and certainly if you're in in a space where you feel comfortable professionally even, you know, let's say your company is accepting of who you are and supportive of your family and all that kind of stuff, still going out in the world as a professional there's always this shakiness about it. It's like, yeah, well, what if, you know, what if things change? What if the dominant paradigm shifts a little bit and the acceptance isn't there anymore? Um, then, so when you can come together with professionals of your own ilk and, and talk about those fears and without, cause you know, you, you don't want to expose, Oh, that's a whole nother thing. You don't want to expose <laughs> all that stuff necessarily to everybody that you work with that, you know, because, you know, you want to just be able to have your life and work with them and be a member of the team and not have to talk about your issues all the time. But at the same time, underlying is this constant fear that, you know, maybe if they wake up tomorrow and I'm not in favor, you know, then I'm out of my ear. So we are primarily like a support group, an affinity group, a group of people that, I mean, it's funny, we say affinity group, it's almost like, oh yeah, we're all into Star Trek, but that's, it's, we have uh, an affinity for one another is how I think about it. Yeah. And that's where the affinity lies. Not to make a joke here, but are you telling me that there's going to be a Star Trek affinity group? <laughs> is that what you're saying? I just thought that might get a little <laughs> interest here. You could start one. There could be. Yeah, we need to shut that down right away. Right. Um, it'd be really, so you talk about it being um, a support group, uh, the affinity group. How does actually the group run what what is it you actually i guess do on a day-to-day basis that helps support people and 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 allows you to allows you to support support, yeah support them well how how do you achieve that yeah it's interesting actually we're kind of struggling with that um we've had a lot of iterations in the very beginning we were a lot about advocacy within the society and really pushing an agenda (laughs) as it were you know we're in win it for the steak knives and the toasters but um, really, that's that's a so old gay joke. But it's like, you know, you recruit enough people, you get some statements. Um, but we were really in it for like trying to educate the higher ups in the society about really what needs to happen in terms of the language. Like I did a whole lot of work on the code of ethics, just trying to get, you know, modern language in there and certainly language that was palatable to all of the affinity groups and marginalized communities that are represented in the society. Um, so some pretty pretty basic, really simple stuff, but also things like the little things like the ribbons and the bathrooms and stuff. It takes a huge amount of work to get that stuff done. It's just kind of crazy. So, but once we had most of those agenda items ticked off, we're like, okay, now it's time to just support each other. And what that has amounted to is, you know, we have a meeting once a month on Zoom and folks attend from, I think, in Singapore. I mean, we have people all over the place 
And um, I just said somebody's name. Sorry about that. But uh, anyway, um, all over the place and lots of, you know, students, um, profs, industry people, all kinds of all kinds of different folks. And sometimes it'll be like there's three of us there, you know, and we're just talking. But it's just super um super important and sometimes folks will drop in like once and you'll see them and then maybe six months later they'll come back one time um it's just a place people can go and they know what to expect in a way even though you never know what to expect i mean the only rule is you're not supposed to talk about work (laughs) we try and make that a rule (laughs) because it just gets a little heavy sometimes but of course work comes into it because most of us are passionate about what we do and so that comes into it and, and we get to talk about that stuff too. But mainly that's what it is. It's just sort of a presence like that and reaching out about um, specific, say, um, things that, uh, let's say, like the DEI committee that we have here in the society. If they need input on something, you know, then hopefully we will be the SMEs on that, which brings up another a whole other point, which is we don't want to have to be our own advocates, but we're, we'll certainly be contributing just like. Nick's lab has asked me for help on some things, just like running things by me. Like, do you think this is cool? Do you think this language is okay about this, you know, about people that you are have affinity with? And and sometimes I have to check with my people to make sure. I'm not gonna say that, you know, I know you know everything that anybody's gonna be offended by or anything like that. But um it takes that kind of questioning. I think it's all you know, it's flipping flipping things on their head, really, because we all think of ourselves as experts, you know, these scientists, blah, blah, blah. But really, when it comes to this kind of work, you just, from the get-go, you just have to say, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, you know, but I can be respectful and I can try. And um, and I'm a, I'm a they-them, which just f- with people. I, I can talk That's fine. I want, right? um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just blows people's minds that have known me forever, you know, and it's just the whole thing. And, and I think the thing people are uncomfortable with is saying, oh, sorry about that, they. You know, just interrupting themselves, but we're used to a certain cadence and that that spells comfort, you know, in social situations and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and so and when you're queer and, and you're overtly queer, then you're you've got that's in everybody's face all the time. And people just feel challenged by that, you know, rather than thinking about what do we have in common? Where are we going with this? What kind of work do you do? It's like, wait, how do I interact with this? You know, this mm-hmm. other um, so. So, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm blathering, but hopefully we're giving a space for people to just take a breath, be with one another, maybe see folks that they find, you know, like maybe look a little bit like them or have to deal with the same things they do. It's so, so, so important. And you keep bringing up this concept of bringing work into it and, and maybe even when you're at work, sort of avoiding who you truly are. Um, I think there's sort of the question of, well, what does that actually look like? Because there's a panel this week. We just talked to Christy about bringing yourself to work. Your and, yeah. yeah and, and I mean, the concept behind that is obviously to sort of encourage these environments where people feel welcome to be themselves. What type of challenge does that look like in the workplace as a, as a queer professional? Um, and like, what are some small things? Keep mentioning these small changes, too. What does it look like as a queer professional? And what small changes can companies make to make it more inclusive? Did I stump you? Uh, no, the small <laughs> changes. Um, well, first of all, it's just like nothing small. The, the, the small changes I've thought, you know, in, in professional environments where, you know, I bring things up that I think are simple, simple things to change, small things, um, ends up being, you know, there's this entropy, just sort of the gravitational pull of corporate America, you know, whatever, um, that make everything difficult. So anything that is a little bit different, anything that causes you know people to pause or, or doubt or anything um, can be super, super difficult. But I'd say 
Well, like you're saying, you know, helping it be an open environment, a comfortable environment for folks. And, you know, where I work, I'm definitely one of the oldest new employees, meaning age-wise. I'm old, but I'm relatively new to the company. And coming in, it was like really clear to me that certain things were not necessarily, you know, uh, fair for everybody or even for everybody. Not, And it's not so much in terms of treatment, but just sort of language. I'm also a linguist, so that's, that's my training, and I'm really hyper-tuned into communication and how people talk about stuff. And so trying to bring people's attention to the tiny things that we do every day. So just within my company, I try and um, have little they're not even workshops like these 20 minute blurbs um, with the whole company where I can say, you know, if you just use y'all, you know, then you just don't need to worry about the rest of it. Y'all or folks or whatever, or address people by their name until you know what their pronouns are. Um, Little things like that, that are so simple, but they are so difficult. Social change. I mean, it's just huge because it's threatening, you know, on an animal level. It's like, wait, wait, am I just tagging myself as different? And you know, then I got the target on my back now. I don't know about that. But so it's little things like that. And hopefully people being able to step into there. And I have to say, I mean, younger folks these days in general are very cued into that, all of those environments, but still are cowed by the heaviness of the hierarchy, right? And they're, so I don't yeah. know if that answered any of that. Guys, gals, non-binary pals. <laughs> That's <go>. my favorite. <laughs> you know what I love? Somebody said to me in a restaurant the other day, and I could see it. You know, the service industry are just plagued by this stuff, right? Oh, what the hell am I supposed to say? Yeah. And this person was just like, friend. I said, thanks, friend. That was everybody oh, was so friend. Good. I thought, oh, that's cool. Not everybody can pull it off, but that, that was really yeah. nice. Yeah. The the generational thing you say, I think, is, is quite strong because I, with younger children, uh, my eldest is 18 and um, and sort of going down from there. They just seem to take to this so much easier. You know, it's just it, it's just a given. And so for me, that the, it feels like there is hope that actually we're going through a transitional stage rather than um, something much longer than that. But what mm-hmm. can we as allies do? What, how can we support um, the LGBTQ plus community going forward? You know, once again, it seems like a <laughs> sweet <laughs> question. Um, it, it's really interesting as you're as you're asking me, and I'm feeling stumped. I'm thinking, why am I stumped? And one, like, is it actually safe to ask? You know, for anything, do do I want to put that on the table? And two, like, what do I consider to be an ally? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it's the people that in the moment will say wait, we haven't heard from you yet. How do you feel about this? You know, those people that are willing to take, and you've heard this probably a million times, especially as a white guy, I don't know the rest of you, but I can think in with the beard and the voice and the kid and all that. Um, but just to say, I'm going to use a little bit of my privilege here and bring this person into the conversation. And it's not just because I'm a nice guy, but it's because I, I already value what they have to say before it comes out of their mouth. I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to be a little bit different perspective. Probably we can, we can bring that into the room or we can make whatever we're building, whether it's community or, you know, a conversation or a a jet airplane, we can make it better, you know, with hearing from everyone. And when everybody does feel comfortable on that level, I mean, it's it's so cliche, but we all win. How can we not say we all freaking win. If everybody's in the room, 
and can actually speak what's in their imagination. I mean, good Lord, imagine, right? So in all these voices that we're starting to hear now in the wake of, you know, George Floyd, all the, all the horrible things that have happened that have helped people sort of come out of the closet and say how they've stayed strong all of these years, you know, all of those secrets. So, and they're tools that we can all use and they're, you know, magical ways of being with one another that, uh, that we can all use. So being open to that, and I would say, Whatever comes out of you, Barry, as a result of you in your mind feeling like, oh, everyone contributes and whatever this beautiful person that looks really unfamiliar to me doesn't map onto anything that's recognizable in my universe, I'm sure they have something to teach me, to show me. And you don't have to poke them and say, show me something, teach me something, you're my new shaman, you know, but just being respectful and paying attention and making space for that. It sounds like the thing for allies to do, I, I'm hearing two different things, right? One is you shouldn't have to ask. You should just do things that are basic, common human decency. Um, and two, the things that should also be included in that package should be some of these things that um, don't make people feel threatened by default based on any piece of them that nice. that yeah. may be sort of impacted by the things that they say, the, the nonverbal language that they're communicating, yeah. anything like that, right? So it's, it's kind of like this... The hope is that allies would just be passive in the sense of, of um, sort of nonverbal communication and neutral in terms of the way that they communicate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're so right. This is really interesting because I've been thinking a lot lately about this sort of, you know, the straight white guy privilege, cis straight white guy privilege kind of thing that people are so unaware of in, in general. But a lot of people are not like Nick, I consider you in that in that sense. Um but I'm not aware. Yeah. But, no, no, but, but, but the whole thing is the, the interesting part of that is that power comes with a price. And we all know this, like I'm an old feminist, you know, being raised anyway, as a, as a girl and everything and, and being a really strong feminist, I know that comes with a penalty and the penalty is there's this little chest plate, you know, that comes with that privilege and it's like, okay, but they, I can't let them too close, you know, cause this sternum is penetrable and God forbid I turn my back on them, you know, while they're pissed about some little, you know, some social norm that I've trespassed on by either, you know, holding my, my hand in a certain way or wearing pink or whatever in the, in the sense of like queerness. But even if you're not queer, you know what I mean? Those things, everybody knows the rules and you could be in big trouble. And so I think that's the thing that we need to recognize that is a sacrifice. I mean, it's, it's, um, I, there was a young guy that used to, I used to be my neighbor and, and he was a, you know, cis straight white guy, had a kid, you know, he was like the, the perfect, you know, young guy. And he was like, wait a second, how long am I going to have to be, you know, this guy that has to say, can we let them speak? You know, can we do, how long am I going to have to do this behavior of being an ally? How long am I going to do it? And I was like, dude, you're in it. You know, you chose to be born in this body and this is part of the price. And he was like, oh, it just killed him. And it's like, it is, there is, that's difficult. I mean, I can understand that. That's difficult, not just to get to ride the wave, you know, but um, but of course, there are a lot of benefits that come from it. And I absolutely I think Nikki put it really perfectly just to try and, you know, toning down the aggro, which most people don't even feel. But even you can do that by by absorbing some of the other aggro in the room. It might not be you. Right. But you can just kind of let it flow. Not, you know, yeah. don't have to put the chest plate up yet. And, um, and just, yeah, just making space in that way. And in all honesty, just believe in it. I mean, it's, 
what is that? So Peter Pan or something was true. It was like, just believe in it. Just, just believe, believe that it. people are equal, Everybody right? Has value, right? <laughs> yeah. It seems to be um, a strange thing to a certain extent that we as a human factors community should have to make the extra special effort to think about affinity groups. Um, and it just seems, you know, why do we should be just doing it by default, but it's clearly, it's clear we don't, you know, and it's even we, I like to think that we as a human factors community are, you know, the people who go and ask how people are, how people yeah. um, contribute to their work, which just proves that, um, that we still have some way to go. Mm -hmm. um, with your work that you've done with the affinity group so far, and yeah. some of the stuff you've already told me kind of hits this mark already, but what's been the most surprising thing you found out? my own ignorance how do you mean well um you know being raised a well-meaning guilt-ridden liberal um white middle class cis whatever just yeah. my own ignorance about the depth of pain and insecurity and not fitting in and you know challenge that so many people have and you know and i'm facile with language and i've always always you know gotten good grades and been athletic you know all these things that make me just sort of fit into the culture in ways that go unspoken but where you get a lot of cred you know you can just sort of walk in the room and you know i never really fit gender wise anywhere but it sort of didn't matter because i just could kind of you know play the in between you know little sister buddy whatever you know however people had to look at it to make it work but uh it blinded me you know, to a lot of, a lot of pain. And I used to think, well, being queer was enough. Like, you know, I could relate, could relate to pain, but I can't relate to, you know, wearing stuff on my skin to the degree that, that people do, or in my language, you know, to have a certain accent that's going to label me as, you know, I have a TV accent. I was raised outside DC, right? I always, I always said I have a TV accent, but you know, I mean, some folks just the minute they speak a word, even, even, some, you know, an American English dialect, uh, you know, God forbid, second second language English dialect, you know, immediately are put into a box. Um, so, yeah, it's just that. Just it's my own lack of knowledge. But, you know, I've, I've come to see it that way. In the beginning, I thought, you know, I'm stupid. I should have thought of that. It's like, no, that is not my experience. I, I don't need to have known that. But I do need to know enough to ask someone about the reality before I make assumptions. Yeah. So So what's next for the affinity group? Yeah, I think um, we want to make it what, like I'm stepping out as a co-chair, I've been in it for a few years, and Hannah's going to maintain, and we're electing a new person in the near future, and I think it is, what is it that we need? Because, okay, what's interesting about a support group is that people have to label themselves kind of in need, you know, to go to that. A lot of times, a much better entree is, what can I do to help? You know, what can I do? So I think having projects is a nice thing, you know, um, whether it's, you know, trying to change the agenda of the society um, or or going into grade schools, you know, coming up with like events that we can have or ways that we can have of inter interacting with younger people that might need support in these areas. Um, I've been working on a, a memorandum of understanding with OSTEM, which is out in science, technology and math and you know things like that are always on the table but all that advocacy stuff like i said we don't want to weigh down the the affinity group with that so i think yeah we just want to reach out and find out what people want do you want you know do, to play games or you know what do you need because folks don't 
honestly don't know what they need. And when they're really in need, it's very hard to reach out, as you all know, I'm sure. So if we can make it a little more of a regular thing for people to take care of themselves by, by showing up, that'd be awesome. But so far, I tell you, just at this conference, handing out these little flyers with the affinity group meeting times on them. We, you know, we kind of screwed up by not getting into the program, but I wonder because it means we have all that FaceTime with people. We get to talk to them right. about their, you know, what they could gain from that and everything. And that's been really good. The showing this year is really good. I feel a lot of good positive energy and a lot of folks that are going to be members of these affinity groups are here showing up. Once again, I think COVID made us stronger. <laughs> Hopefully it still is making us stronger. I feel we could keep on talking for ages but nick's quite rightly prompting me that um that we only have time with you so we do really appreciate your time but what if you're here for the rest of the conference um what are you most looking forward to um to seeing for in the next few days i can't hear what to, what we have to say on that panel <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to the people in the audience saying what the hell do you mean bring your whole self to work which is just like a toxic <laughs> me social media now and i completely believe that and by the way just right here for the record I'm just going to say what that means is you bring whatever aspect of yourself you want to be present and respected at work, and it should be present and respected at work. You don't have to bring everything. You don't have to disclose anything you don't want to, whether it is that you have kids or that you attended Catholic high school or whatever the hell it is. It doesn't matter. Um, so that just to, just to you know, clear things up a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I am looking forward to the panel because I don't know. But all this other stuff, it's good stuff. I just came from this incredible human AI teaming, you know, panel that was just amazing so yeah no it's all good jules thank you so much for being on the show i again have wanted you to be on for so long i'm so glad we had a chance to make it happen thank you for coming on to talk about the the lgbtq plus affinity group the queer the queer affinity group thank you nice to meet you Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.